It's good to be with you on this new day, this day in which we meet the Lord in mercy, only to discover new mercies. It is July 11th and day 192 on our journey through the Bible this year. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher in Concord, Massachusetts, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, in which we encourage you to read the Bible for yourself, to take in its central message, and to meditate upon its truth. Our job in this podcast is to encourage you to press on engaging with God's Word, press on with the reading of it, with the hearing of it, with the study upon it, with the memorization and the meditation upon it. May we learn to feast upon it. We also want to point out facts that you don't want to miss as they are helpful in discerning the unfolding theme of the person and work of Christ in the Scriptures. We are now in the book of First Chronicles. The genealogies are over, and once again we are back in the story. And you will notice today the particular focus on the person of King David and the positive side of his story that anticipates the story of the greater King David, the Messiah, the son of David to come. Today in the New Testament, we complete the book of Acts. It ends rather abruptly. The good news is that the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ do not end with Acts chapter 28. Christians are living in Acts chapter 29 and beyond today. Tomorrow we start the longest letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul, his letter to the Romans. I believe it's a good jump-on-the-train day to get started on Bible reading. Feel free to invite others to participate tomorrow and take up the Bible reading challenge. I believe we could all benefit with a fresh encounter with Paul's letter to the Romans. Sometimes people have referred to it as the Gospel according to St. Paul, but it's a pastoral letter and we can glean much from it. But right now, let's step out the door with our Bible tour and we go to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 11 when David is being anointed as king in Hebron. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 1. Then all Israel gathered together to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, And David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel, according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is, Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You will not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. David said, Whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, so he became chief. And David lived in the stronghold. Therefore it was called the city of David. And he built the city all around from the millow in complete circuit. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men, who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. Jashobiam, a Hakmonite, was chief of the three. 
he wielded his spear against three hundred whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo the Ahohite. He was with David at Pasdamim, when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. There was a plot of ground full of barley, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, and defended it, and killed the Philistines. And the Lord saved them by a great victory. Three of the thirty chief men went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam, when the army of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, that is, by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem, that was by the gate, and took it, and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord, and said, Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the life-blood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men, and killed them, and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty, and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzil, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David set him over his bodyguard. The mighty men were Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shamoth of Harod, Helez the Pelonite, Ira the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abizer of Anathoth, Sibekai the Hushathite, Eli the Ahohite, Maharai of Netopha, Heled the son of Bana of Netopha, Ithai the son of Rabbi of Gebeah of the people of Benjamin, Beniah of Pirathon, Horai of the brooks of Gash, Abiel the Arbathite, Asmaveth of Baharum, Eliabah the Shaalbanite, Hashem the Gizonite, Jonathan the son of Shagi the Hararite, Ahayam the son of Sakhar the Hararite, Eliphal the son of Ur, Afer the Makarathite, Ahijah the Pelonite, Hezro of Carmel, Naarai the son of Ezbai, Joel the brother of Nathan, Mibhar the son of Hagri, Zelek the Ammonite, Naharai of Beeroth, the armor-bearer of Joab the son of Zeruiah, Ira the Ithrite, Gareb the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, Zabad the son of Ali, Adina the son of Shiza the Reubenite, a leader of the Reubenites, and thirty with him, Hanan the son of Maka, and Joshaphat the Mithnite, 
Uzziah, the Ashtarathite, Shammah, and Jael, the sons of Hotham, the Arorerite, Bidiael, the son of Shimri, and Johah, his brother, the Tizite, Eliel, the Mahavite, Jeribai, and Joshaviah, the sons of Elnaam, and Ithma, the Moabite, Eliel, and Obed, and Jaziel, the Mazobite. The mighty men join David. First Chronicles chapter 12. Now these are the men who came to David at Ziglag, while he could not move about freely because of Saul the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They were bowmen, and could shoot arrows and sling stones with either the right or the left hand. They were Benjaminites, Saul's kinsmen. The chief was Ahiezer, then Joash, both sons of Shemah and Gibeah, also Jeziel and Pelet, the sons of Asmaveth, Barakah, Jehu of Anathoth, Ishmael of Gibeon, a mighty man among the thirty, and a leader over the thirty, Jeremiah, Jehaziel, Johanan, Josabad of Geterah, Eluzai, Jeremoth, Bealiah, Shemariah, Shephatiah, the Harufite, Elkanah, Ishiah, Azarel, Joezer, and Jashobeam, the Korahites, and Joella and Zebadiah, the sons of Jeroham of Gedor. From the Gadites there went over to David at the stronghold in the wilderness mighty and experienced warriors, expert with shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains, Ezer the chief, Obadiah second, Eliab third, Mishmana fourth, Jeremiah fifth, Atai sixth, Eliel seventh, Johanan eighth, Elzabad ninth, Jeremiah tenth, Machbani eleventh. These Gadites were officers of the army. The least was a match for a hundred men, and the greatest for a thousand. These are the men who crossed the Jordan in the first month, when it was overflowing all its banks, and put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and to the west. And some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold to David. David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come to me in friendship to help me, my heart will be joined to you. But if to betray me to my adversaries, although there is no wrong in my hands, then may the God of our fathers see and rebuke you. Then the spirit clothed Amasai, the chief of the thirty, and he said, We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. Then David received them and made them officers of his troops. And this concludes our portion of today's reading from the book of First Chronicles. Now let's take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we have just read. The theme of First Chronicles is the building of the temple. The central personality is King David. The book of Second Chronicles ends with the Persian king Cyrus's decree to rebuild Jerusalem, which is where the book of Ezra starts. The book of Chronicles therefore links the story of the past temple to the vision of the restored temple during the period of Ezra and Nehemiah. Most importantly, it points the reader even further to a greater David and a greater temple. The book therefore reminds the covenant people of Israel that God made a promise to bring about an everlasting kingdom with a son of David on the throne. We read of David's determination to provide for the building of the temple, although he was told that he himself would not build it. 
The book focuses on the southern kingdom of Judah rather than the ten tribes of Israel to the north. It brings God's purpose back into view. After reading the history of human failure in First and Second Kings, we are reminded that God is still at work and will one day bring about the kingdom prophesied in the Davidic covenant. After their seventy years of captivity in Babylon, it was time to return to the story, the land, and the ongoing kingdom vision. The book of Chronicles brings us back to the future. In First Chronicles chapter 11, the writer distinguishes the reign of King David from that of his predecessor, King Saul. Then we have a picture, be it ever so brief, of kingdom unity. All Israel came together to David at Hebron. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 1a. The people clearly identified with their king. They were more than subjects. They considered themselves as intimate family members. Behold, we are your bone and flesh. Chapter 11, verse 1. The oneness of Christ's kingdom will be the oneness of Christ and his church, the oneness of a husband with his bride, bone of his bone, and flesh of his flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. In this chapter, we have a prophetic picture that in Christ's kingdom there will be this kind of unity. Notice the kind of loyalty described in this kingdom. The subjects affirm that their king proved his worthiness. He was an exemplary military leader, shepherd, and ruler, even when his leadership was not fully recognized during the time of Saul. In chapter 11, verse 2, this is a foreshadowing of the worthy rule of Christ. Although he is not yet fully recognized by all as such, the Lord Jesus has already proved himself to be the worthy king, fit to lead us into victory, deliver us from oppressors, and rule as king in his kingdom. David is made king at Hebron. The word Hebron, or pronounced sometimes Hebron, literally means the seat of association or fellowship. The verb habar means to join or team up. It is an appropriate name for a city where people pledge to team up in association and fellowship with the anointed king David. To experience the kingdom rule of God, we must first be reconciled to him and have fellowship with him. How? We must come on the ground of fellowship established through the cross. Have you recognized who Jesus is as the Son of God, the King of Kings? Have you trusted the merits of his atoning death provided on the cross on your behalf to remove the barrier of your sin? Sin separates us from God. The work of the cross provides the means for our reconciliation. The sin barrier, or sin debt incurred by our disobedience to God's law, prevents fellowship with God. It must be removed through the perfect sin offering, the poured-out life of the atoning Lamb of God. You must transfer your trust from your sinful ways, placing it in Jesus Christ, the Lord our righteousness, who knew no sin. You must trust what He has done on your behalf when He, as your substitute, took the punishment your sin deserved when He suffered death on the cross. If you are willing to trust Him as your Lord and Savior, submitting to His rule over your life as your rightful King, you can enjoy Hebron, fellowship with Him. The seat of association of fellowship with Christ the King is personal recognition and trust in who Christ is and what He accomplished on your behalf in His saving work on the cross. After Hebron, David and all the Israelites marched to Jebus, Jerusalem. The city's occupants, the Jebusites, refused to surrender the city at first. David challenges his men to occupy Jerusalem, the city of peace, saying, 
whoever will lead the attack will become commander-in-chief. Joab, David's nephew, leads the battle and consequently becomes commander-in-chief. Jerusalem is the city of peace. It is to be the capital city for the Prince of Peace. Today it is still called the City of David, together with David's birthplace, Bethlehem. It is a testimony to God's faithfulness to see the flag of David flying in Jerusalem today. Next, we read about David's mighty men who gave David's kingship strong support. How does your life give strong support for the rule of the greater David, Jesus Christ? The men are listed together with their significant accomplishments. These loyal and brave followers of the king are designated in groups. The text divides them into the three and a general group titled the thirty, of which it appears there were more than thirty. Thirty-seven are listed. There are sixteen more names in First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 10 to 47 than in the account of the mighty men found in Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 38. You may have noticed that the third mighty man listed in Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 to 11 is not mentioned here. The three were noted for their sacrificial service. They put David's interests ahead of their own. David expressed his longing for water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, his birthplace, which at this time was occupied by the Philistine army. These three men broke through the Philistines' line of defense, heroically drew water from the well, and returned with it to David. David was more refreshed by their demonstration of selfless love than he would have been by drinking the water they had so heroically retrieved. These mighty men reflected the sacrificial love of the triune God. They were willing to sacrifice their lives to meet the need of their king. Their selfless concern and sacrificial deed are part of the written record of Chronicles. David responded to their heroic act by seeing the love of God in it. The three mighty men imaged God to David. He responded with an act of worship. He refused to drink it and poured it out before the Lord as a drink offering. First Chronicles chapter 11, verses 16-19 through 19. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men, a picture of sacrificial service motivated by a love for their king. Do we image the love of God to others when we give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name? How willing are we to give the Lord what he is longing for? Are we tuned into the concerns of the greater David? The names of the three mighty men are Jashobiam, otherwise known as Ishbosheth, Eleazar, and Shammah, according to 2 Samuel chapter 23 verses 8 through 12. But we don't know for sure the names of the three that risked their lives to fetch David water from the well of Bethlehem. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was doubly honored above the three and became their commander, even though he was not numbered with the three. There are other notable warriors whose significant accomplishments are recorded. Benaiah, who, in addition to striking down two choice Moabite warriors, went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 22. He struck down a seven-and-a-half-foot-tall Egyptian who had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand. And Benaiah, did this with a simple club. He was not included in the three, but was made the head of David's bodyguard for good reason. Notice how people are listed in respect to their relationship with King David. We are listed in the Book of Life on the basis of our relationship with the greater David, Jesus Christ. Is your relationship with him a real and saving one? There is a list of those who followed David when he was at Ziklag, 
when he was not yet enthroned as king. These are his followers when he was an outcast, despised, and rejected by King Saul. This was before he was popular and universally accepted as a king. To be identified with David meant persecution from the reign of Saul. This is a picture of our identification with Christ in this present age before he is recognized by all at his return as the one true King of kings and Lord of lords. The Spirit coming upon Amasai is a foreshadowing of the Holy Spirit coming upon a believer. The effect of the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of the believer is one of actualizing full identification and union with Christ, His person, His purposes, and His people. 1 Chronicles 12, verse 18. Lord, we are yours. He purchased us. Lord, we are with you. God is faithful who has called us into the fellowship of His Son. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. Lord, we seek first your kingdom. Matthew 6, verse 33. We desire that your interests, your agenda, and that your purposes prosper. The Holy Spirit enables us to accomplish ministry in Jesus' name. Success, success to you and to all those who help you. Is that your chief heart cry today? If not, ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now let's go to our next stop on our Bible reading tour, to the final reading from the book of Acts, chapter 28, and we'll read through the entire chapter and conclude with the book's ending in verse 31. Acts chapter 28, beginning with verse 1. Paul on Malta. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Paul arrives at Rome. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Putioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when he came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him.
After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And this concludes our reading of today's portion from the New Testament, the book of Acts. And this concludes the book of Acts. Now let's make some final observations. As I have mentioned before, as we finish the book of Acts, we realize that the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the church has not finished. Acts 28 is the culmination of the journey of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, as testimony is brought before centurions like Lysias, procurators and governors like Felix and Festus, kings like Agrippa. Now Paul is ready to testify of Christ to Caesar and his royal household. The account started in 30 AD, just after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The opening scene is in a remote province of the empire outside Jerusalem in Judea in Palestine. By the end of the book of Acts, in 62 to 63 AD, Christianity has spread through the known world in one generation. We are given four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus in the four Gospels, but only one narrative of the early church. It is only by the book of Acts that we are given a picture of how the New Testament church was formed by the Holy Spirit through the preached word at Pentecost. It is only by the book of Acts that we are able to see how the Lord added to the church those who were being saved in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We pick up the story on the island of Malta, where the 276 survivors of the shipwreck were taken care of for a three-month stay. God's favor is shown in the way that Paul is protected from any ill effect after being bitten by a poisonous snake. Such supernatural occurrences, such as picking up serpents, being delivered from the deadly effects of poison, and physical healings, although never guaranteed as normative 
in the Christian life are described and predicted in Mark chapter 16, verse 18 as being part of the ongoing work of Christ in his church. Paul prays for the sick on the island, including the father of the chief man there, Publius, and their health is recovered. The book of Acts concludes with Paul arriving in Rome, where he gathers the Jewish leaders and testifies of Jesus' role as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the prophesied Son of David, the appointed and anointed King in the kingdom of God. Paul testifies of God's saving grace through Jesus. He warns the Jewish leaders that they do not have a monopoly on God's offer of salvation and that although salvation is of the Jews, it is being offered to the Gentiles, and unlike many of the Jewish leaders, the Gentiles will listen. Acts chapter 28, verse 28. The chapter's ending seems abrupt. Paul is awaiting trial. He's written this account possibly to prepare his defense attorney for his appeal to Caesar. Many commentators have given an educated guess that Theophilus might have been Paul's defense attorney. The book ends where it should end, and does end, under the careful supervision of the Holy Spirit. We have a series of verbs and two adverbs. We see Paul welcoming, proclaiming, that is preaching, and teaching. He is doing this boldly. The Greek word is parousia, openly, confidently, freely, not secretly, not apologetically, and without hindrance. The last word of the Greek New Testament book of Acts is unhinderedly. We pray that this is the way we will function as fruit-bearing disciples unhinderedly in the work. The progress of the gospel does not stop with chapter 28. It continues with us. And may it not stop with us, but may we be fully involved in the ministry of Christ in His church as He makes us an army of disciple-making missionaries. May we pass the torch to the future generation of disciples. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, Psalm 9, verses 1 through 12. I will recount your wonderful deeds. Psalm 9, a psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name for ever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned for ever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. This psalm joyously recounts and anticipates the Lord's reigning as King and Lord over all. Notice the repetition of the phrase, The Lord sits enthroned, He reigns in righteousness, and His justice will prevail. Our confidence is in God's mercy as well as His justice. 
Our confidence is in the finished work of righteousness on the cross, where Christ turned the judgment seat into a mercy seat for those who believe. In Christ, our cry, Be gracious to me, is answered. Psalm 9, verse 13. And in verse 10 we read, And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. David is a wholehearted worshiper. Let us share his resolve. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. Does this describe your life? You have plenty to thank him for. Do it with all your heart. Verses 3 to 6 encourage us to take the long view. The Lord is in control. He sits on the throne and will judge with righteous judgment. Let us recount his wonderful deeds. And before we finish our tour today, let's go to the treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, and pull a proverb from the chest, Proverbs 19, verses 1 through 3. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Proverbs often use comparatives to make a point. Such is the case here. It is better to be poor with personal integrity than someone who is deemed successful but arrived at that success through dishonest and selfish practices. Be true to God's word, even if it leads to poverty. Unenlightened enthusiasm and ambition gets a person off track and proves futile. People can be more willing to blame God for their failures than accept their own responsibility. Their heart rages against God, yet their situations are often the result of their own folly. Instead of blaming God, they should be applying His word with wisdom. Let's pray together. Gracious God, like King David, we are encouraged to worship you with all our hearts. When we think of all the great things you have done and the wondrous provision of your gracious gift of salvation, our hearts well up with praise and thanksgiving. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Help us to discern your kingly rule and take the long view, keeping your eternal purposes in mind. Like the mighty men who served King David, we want to give ourselves in utter abandon to you, in service of the greater Son of David, the worthy Lamb of God who reigns on the throne. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who makes real our faith union with Christ so that we can say, We are yours, we are with you, and you are with us. We seek to serve your kingdom purposes today unhinderedly. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today on our Bible reading tour, and we look forward to picking up tomorrow, starting the Book of Romans and many other great discoveries that we hope to make. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to get a written copy with all the illustrations and maps, you can subscribe to our daily email at our website, newlife.org. So until next time, friends, be blessed with the Holy Spirit's reminder of the unfailing love of God and His presence with you. Shalom.